Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Friday, December 23rd, and this is the weekly market update. Uh, a few housekeeping issues uh, before we get started. Um, it's been a pretty good year of growth for the newsletter. Uh, I've had record amount of subscribers. Uh, obviously, earlier in the year, it was a little bit more robust as the markets have underperformed um interest goes away from these things and so people aren't uh in the mood to invest or speculate because and so they're not looking for information sources i will say that uh, for the year the portfolio i checked it last night because uh, i have a tracking software uh, that's pretty close to accurate but um right now versus the s p which is down about 14 percent i think for the year uh the actionable intelligence alert newsletter portfolio is up around 25%. That's of yesterday. So we'll see what happens next week as we close out the year. But again, uh, you know, we're beating the S&P. Um, and that's our goal here is to prove that uh, individual investors can, in fact, uh, with the right information and the right mindset and the right risk controls, um, do better than just putting their money into a vanguard you know s p 500 uh passive fund now there's nothing wrong with doing that and for most people that's probably the best thing to do but a lot of you guys out there uh feel like you can do better and so you're looking for an edge and that's why you come here that's why you listen uh subscribers uh, the same way now i would say that if you recently subscribed you know the performance has not been as good you haven't captured the majority of the performance because a large part of the performance came earlier in the year um and you know overall we're in a bear market and i've said this before if we're in a bear market um most stocks will go down but i think we've we've outperformed because we've seen the growth stocks uh overvalued growth stocks begin to be uh sold off or rationalized in their price uh we've seen value stocks and resource stocks which are typically value um have done fairly well so i will this will be the last uh video for this year um well maybe i'll do one next week i don't know but uh the next video i do will be uh kind of a forecast what we think is gonna what i think is gonna happen in 2023 uh to set the stage for the new year so uh, i wanted to get that out of the way we didn't make the 10,000 subscribers to the youtube channel like i was hoping we got close, uh, but uh, regardless, the channel continues to grow. And like I said, this isn't for everybody. Um, this is really kind of um, the audience here is very, very self-selected. And, you know, there's a lot of so-called financial channels out there. I don't really consider this a financial channel, but, um, you know, I don't try to pump things. I don't try to uh, be, you know, too provocative. We just, you know, we have a longer term horizon. Uh, in investing and even in our speculating. So sometimes there's not much to say specifically as an example is the uranium market, which I'll talk about here uh, in a couple slides. But anyway, just wanted to thank you all for the uh, support for viewing. I mean, there's people that have been with me from the start uh, and I appreciate you guys. Um, obviously I do this. I like to do this. I like to make the videos. We don't always get it right. Um, and we have a good base of subscribers and people that come here and correct us when we're wrong. So we're not above taking correction. Uh, we've got excellent commenters, 
uh, we have pretty good dialogues. So I appreciate you guys. Um, you're my customers. And if we can do things better, you know, I can't promise I'll implement every single thing that somebody asked me to do, but if it's reasonable and I think that it's, uh, you know, makes sense, then we'll, we'll make an effort to do that. So uh, again, thanks. And I uh, just want to wish everyone uh, a Merry Christmas and a healthy and uh, prosperous new year. All right, let's get into it. As usual, anything that you hear or see on this podcast or video is not to be taken as investment advice. I am not a financial advisor. I cannot give you individual investment advice. Please do your own due diligence on anything that you see or hear here. And uh, it's your money, it's your responsibility. So again, uh, wanted to talk a little bit about some of the news I saw in around the nuclear power industry, which it's been very, very, uh, the news has been very, very good. Again, you know, we have this massive wind in our sails and, uh, you know, all this good news coming down the pipeline. Um, I think that I saw on the World Nuclear News website or maybe it was on Twitter, somebody posted all the proposed reactors that are supposed to start next year. And I think it's around, I think I counted like a dozen or maybe a slightly more than a dozen reactors are supposed to start up next year. And these were all fairly large reactors. There's not like, you know, any 100 or 200 megawatt research reactors or whatever. There's big reactors coming online. So uh, the industry continues to grow. The news continues to be uh, very positive. Uh, and yet we have this, uh, a lot of people in the uranium investing sphere are very morose right now. But we'll get into that in a minute. Let me go through this news. So here's a... Uh, public opinion in Sweden regarding nuclear power. And what I thought was interesting is since like 2020, 2019, you've seen a big surge in uh, people there, I mean, up to 60%, keep using the existing reactors and if needed, build new ones. So what I think you're starting to see, especially since uh, the war in, in Ukraine and the sanctions against Russian energy and the spike in energy prices, you know, let's not forget before the invasion of Ukraine and the sanctions went on Russia, energy prices were already spiking uh, around the world and specifically in Europe. Okay. All, all that did, the war did in the sanctions was exacerbate a situation in a trend that was already in place. But I thought this was interesting. Um, then you even had here, the next group, which is uh, around 25%, is to keep using the existing reactors, but do not build new ones. And then you have the uh, people, the party poopers here, um, which is around less than 10% of the population, which is phase out nuclear power through political decisions. So um, this is the trend I think you're starting to see more and more around the world. I think you're going to see this accelerate, um, notwithstanding, you know, how we pick on Germany, but uh, this is, I've said this before, if your view on the environment is that CO2 is the main danger to humanity, then you have to be for nuclear power, either for nuclear power or you're for, you know, a die off of a major portion of the population. Uh, you don't get there any other way. So I know that seems like a provocative statement, but if you go through the math and you think about it, how else do you get there? And uh, we've, uh, you know, I'm not going to discuss rebuildables anymore because I think we've made the case that 
you know, why that's not going to work uh, as the solution. So I think to get where people want to go, and I think public sentiment is shifting, as this poll shows, uh, back to nuclear. I mean, 60% of the people in Sweden were slightly under 60%. I mean, that's a plural. That's that's a majority. So uh, this is very uh, positive news. So saw another article this week, and I'll try to put links. Typically, I try to put links to the articles uh, if I if I if I can in the show notes, which are below the video. Um, Italy rethinking nuclear power. Here's a few snippets from the article. Nuclear power splits the ruling coalition as the issue gains prominence thanks to surging electricity prices. So this is what I've said for a while. This is what uh, people like Doomberg have said for a while. You know, in the when the discussion comes down to physics or politics, physics wins and price wins. I mean, people now they will put up with a short term spike. You know, people were told, well, we're going to have the spike in energy prices, but it's going to be short term. So people are like, OK, fine. But it's now going on for a couple of years. Right. And it's not like prices are up 10 percent. I mean, they're up double and triple what they used to be, depending on where you are in, in, in Europe or the world. And so people have had enough. And then people understand slowly but surely that nuclear power can be part of the solution. So, of course, in this article, uh, like it's supposed to be a bad thing, it says here the other snippet, right-wing parties are pushing for a rethink of the country's long-standing nuclear ban, citing the need to attain energy sovereignty to manage rising energy bills and to fill the gap left by fossil fuels as they're phased out thanks to climate change pledges. Well, the pledges aren't the reason. The fact is, is that there's a shortage of energy. And, uh, you know, if you don't address this uh, surging electricity prices up hundreds of percent, you won't be in power. And so I think there's traction here and there's an ability. And this is what we thought would happen, right? Now, obviously, we didn't forecast or I didn't forecast the war in Donbass and the subsequent effect on energy prices around the world and specifically in Europe. But again, we were talking about the fact that this was going to be an issue, rising energy prices around the world uh, because of underinvestment and the zeitgeist, current fashionable thinking that fossil fuels are evil and climate change agenda and all these things. And that was, we were already seeing prices go up. So I think, you know, again, the Overton window seems to be shifting to no nuclear to maybe nuclear depends where you are and which country you're in. So um, this are, these are positive uh, developments in my mind on top of the already, you know, tremendous amount of positive developments we've seen specifically in the last couple few months. Uh, Matteo Salvini, leader of the pro industry league on Saturday announced a petition to force a consultative consultative referendum on reintroducing nuclear energy. So we shall see, right? Uh, the, the, the bullish factors or the bullishness that I have on the nuclear power industry and uranium don't hinge on what happens in Italy, but this is another brick in the wall. This is another gust of wind into the sails of the um, positive uranium trade that uh, I think, you know, we're in a bull market in uranium. So I wanted to talk about this. This is a chart going back to the beginning of 2020 for the uh, uranium stock ETF miners. 
um, North Shore or the now the Sprott um, Uranium Miners ETF. And one of the things I've noticed, um, I've talked about this before, this irritates people, but I don't understand why everybody's crabbing about uranium stocks. You know, um, you're in a bull market. I mean, I only took this back to 2020. I could have took it back farther, but um, look at, you know, this is basically the lows during the pandemic sell-off. But even if you bought after that, uh, say 13 or $15 a share, I mean, you've doubled your money uh, in three years, okay? That's a pretty good return. Um, if you bought here at the lows or, you know, and you sold up here, if you're, you're trading in and out of this, I mean, you're doing fairly well. We're in a bull market, okay? Um, but yet there's all this crabbing and complaining. And it's mostly people that got into it during this summer of 2021 when we had a, this uh, kind of blow off top. It wasn't really a blow off, but uh, there was a lot of interest. There was a lot of tourism into the sector. There was a lot of talk about $200 a pound uranium. Uh, happening like imminently. Uh, and this is when a lot of people come. So if you bought here, then you're down. So you're not as optimistic or not as happy as I am or other people that bought back here. And so this is the problem, right? Let me explain this again or try to talk about this because this is instructive for investing and speculating. Um, anyway, you don't buy these things based on you, you, you don't buy any investment. You don't get involved in an investment or speculation based on what you hear on YouTube or the current zeitgeist. If, if you, to, in the summer of 2021, became introduced to uranium because the price was high and you decided to jump in, you have your only self to blame. Um, sediment was off the charts positive. It was gotten way ahead of itself. And you fell for what a lot of new investors do. They buy on the highs and sell on the lows. Where were you back here? Where were you three years ago, four years ago, when you could have bought these things for 10 cents on the dollar or less? Okay, you, have a, you make your money in these cyclical industries. And for mo in that respect, most investments by the price that you pay. Now, Five years from now, three to five years from now, I think that even if you bought here, you'll be fine. But what happens is a lot of newbies and tourists came in. They bought, they had visions of sugar plums and how they were going to get rich. And then this is what we've seen, a consolidation after this big move off these lows. I mean, you basically went, this actually, this seven, this literally went up seven times Okay, in a year and a half, guys, what did you think was going to happen? It has to, it ha it's consolidating those gains. So you have a seven bagger off the lo COVID lows. Even if you, even if you did do that, you got a three bagger off, you know, after it kind of recovered from that. So you, and that's in a year and a half. So again, that's no problem number one. Uh, getting interested in a sector when you hear about it and get the juices flowing and get caught up in the FOMO. We've talked about that before. Uh, problem number two is uh, not understanding sediment uh, and, how, and not understanding the cyclicality and probably not understanding, you know, what's the thesis for this industry. Um, yes, you're disappointed if you bought here, okay? 
Um, so you're going to have to sit on this and wait for it to consolidate. It's consolidating now. I mean, you see it's not making new lows. It's just bouncing around. It's creating a consolidation and then the next move in my projection, unless this totally breaks down and we have like a great financial crisis or depression, yes, this would sell off. If you have a nuclear accident, this would sell off. You know, part of the issue here is that, you know, not understanding the, the basis of how, how these things, the fact that you make your money by the price that you pay. So we've talked about these things before. Um, you know, we had all this interest, like I said, talk of $200 uranium, a bunch of people emerged as thought leaders and YouTube channels and newsletters talking about this constantly. And uh, that gets the FOMO going. The story sounds good. It is a good story, but it, it matters what price you pay for things, guys. I've said this before. It does matter the price you pay. And if you overpay, uh, or if you buy near uh, sediment, set, peaks in sediment, then you know your returns are going to be muted. Yes, I think that this is going to go higher over time um, because I think that you know over this decade, there's going to be a massive shift to nuclear. But uh, that's, I mean, I don't know what you're crabbing about. If you even if you got in back here, you're sitting on a double in in the context of a, of a stock market that's been down. That's that's down 14 percent this year. Okay, or many stocks, growth stocks that are down 70-80%. And so I think another big problem that people have, I've said this before, go to the Berkshire Hathaway website and look. The first thing you're going to do is open the most current annual report. On the first page of the annual report from the cover sheet, they list all of the returns since Berkshire Hathaway existed. And you will see on the far right they will show the percentage returns per year. They have mostly up years. They have some down years. But the overall compounding for Berkshire Hathaway by Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, and Charlie Munger, um, you know, arguably two of the best investors ever, is 20% a year, okay? And so the best investors in the world are averaging 20% a year over their career now, a lot of that's because law of large numbers, they can't buy a lot of the things that we can buy. Um, but if you're expecting 100% a year or visions of sugar plums every year, then you don't have realistic expectations of investment returns. And that's part of the problem. They've, they've done polls on this and that's typical of retail investors. So get your Get your head straight on your expectations, what's reasonable, what's, what can be expected. And if we have a year, if you have a year where you do, where something takes off in these cyclical business, that's what happens with this, right? Nothing happens for a couple few years and all of a sudden, bang, you get a five bagger in a year. Okay. And it makes up for all of the time you had to sit there bored with nothing going on. Because again, the thesis has not changed. The news flow and the fundamentals continue to get better, okay? It's just that the price was too high, and now you have to let this consolidate, let it rest, okay? Let it absorb this, and it will, again, you know, there'll be a catalyst for it to move higher over time. So, you know, I think understanding some of these things, I keep talking about this because I see a, I see a lot on Twitter. I used to, I, I don't want to get into Twitter wars with people, but I just shake my head, you know? Sediment is completely washed out on FinTwit, and with uranium Twitter, 
but no one's focused. I mean, why did you buy these companies for, you know, you, you know, do you have a thesis? Do you have a reason except for, I was listening to uh, somebody on YouTube and they said this was going to go up. I mean, that's not how you do this guys. So again, get yourself a notebook, write down why you buy these things and then revisit that thesis. And then, you know, part of the problem is you really have to be able to get into this stuff. And it's, this is the hard part. You got to buy it when nobody else wants it, when it's being given away. And we have stocks in the portfolio that are up hundreds of percent. So I don't care about this consolidation in the uranium sector. It doesn't bother me. I just ignore it because I, the fund, I just look at the fundamentals. I review, why did I buy these stocks? Oh, because X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z is still in place and yet has gotten better. I will hold and buy on pullbacks. That's what you do in a bull market. So that's how I would kind of look at this, but I'm just kind of amazed at the mistakes that people continue to make because they don't really understand the art of investing. So if I, I didn't want to, you know, push buttons or poke the bear or make anybody feel bad, but this is reality. Okay. And there'll be other opportunities in other sectors also. And this sector is still not played out. You know, what people don't understand about this, even if you buy this right now, I mean, they had a two for one split uh, this week. That's why the pr price is 30. It was like 60 uh, earlier in the week. And then people were like, well, what happened? You had a two for one split. But anyways, uh, I mean, the current dividend on this thing is like 7%. So you're getting paid 7% a year right now, currently. And to get paid to wait for it to go up. And nothing's changed fundamentally. Like I said, the fundamentals got better. So I don't really know what the problem is here. But uh, except for the fact that we have a lot of people that most of the people probably came in here. And this is what they're aggravated about. Because that's a year of sitting there of dead money. Okay. If you bought here, that was last November, December. You've got a year where you're down by half. And it's like Charlie Munger said, you know, if you, he, he said there's been several times during his investing career where he's had 50% drawdowns. He's experienced that. And he said that if you cannot endure that, you cannot endure a 50% um, drawdown, then you don't have the proper temperament to be in the, in the stock market. That's what he said. So consider that and, uh, you know, think about it. So here's an article from the, uh, I think it's called, the, I don't know, I'll put a link to it. It's in one of the uh, outfits I follow in the UK that uh, talks about uh, fossil fuels and Global Warming Policy Foundation, I think is what it is, Global Warming Policy. I'll put a link to the article. But uh, the title was, Europe must exploit its fossil fuel resources or face economic relegation to second world status. I mean, that's exactly what I say. I mean, I agree with this. Some snippets here. As Europe faces its worst energy crisis in living memory. Oh, here it is. The uh, name of the outfit's Net Zero Watch, but they're, uh, they're um, affiliated with the Global Warming Policy Foundation. Net Zero Watch has warned ministers and MPs in London and Brussels that they have a choice between exploiting Europe's untouched fossil fuel resources or inevitable relegation of the continent to second world status. Exactly, because the whole basis of the economy is in energy inputs and second law of thermodynamics. Europe's energy resources are far from trivial. 
with coal reserves amounting to nearly 13% of the global total, sufficient to support current levels of production for nearly 300 years. That's plenty of time to get nuclear ramped up. You can also convert coal to various um, gases, other products. I mean, it's a hydrocarbon, so you can break these hydrocarbon chains. You can create liquid fuels, diesel, gasoline, naphtha, plastics inputs from coal. They did it in South Africa during apartheid uh, because they were being sanctioned. Um, and the Germans did it during World War II when they didn't have that, uh, didn't have enough oil inputs into their industry. According to the European Commission, technically recoverable shale gas resources in Europe amount to some 14 trillion cubic meters, between four and five times greater than the proven reserves of natural gas. In other words, shale gas would be sufficient to support current levels of European gas production for more than 50 years. So again, I've talked about this before, uh, but you can read the paper. It's like a 16 page uh, paper that somebody wrote talking about the different reserves there in Europe. And it's not, has, it has nothing to do, like there's no resources there. The resources are there. It's just the political will is not. And I think that that zeitgeist is going to change because people don't want to be poor. If you experienced, you know, relative prosperity and comforts, and that's taken away from you because the political class has decided that they're going to pursue um, the elimination of a molecule that's in the atmosphere, a life-giving molecule, uh, to your, you know, detriment, you're going to get, things are going to change and they're starting to. So uh, I, I, I think this is a good paper to read. It's interesting and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So I thought this was interesting. You know, we've seen the back down now of two major asset uh, managers. I think it was Black, it wasn't BlackRock, Black, Black, one of the Black Rocks or Blackstone or one of these outfits and Vanguard kind of crawfishing away from the um, ESG commitments they made. Now we see this. This was an article that was on CNBC. And I put it here on the title slide, conviction or follow the herd. So following the herd, doing what's fashionable is what corporate America and corporations around the world, it's all about conformity. It's all about you don't want to get nuked on Twitter. It's all about going along to get along, right? not being a thought leader, not being ahead of the curve, not telling the truth. You know, it's staying wishy-washy and maintaining your position. That's what these corporations are all about. Yes, the people that are there are highly credentialed, but where's the real Mavericks? I mean, I don't really particularly like Elon Musk that much, but I give the guy credit, okay? Uh, he does what he needs to do. He says what he wants to say, and that's how most people should be. But in, that doesn't fly in corporate America. Your board will eject you. I mean, he controls the place. And so he can do what he wants to do. But, uh, you know, here we have a situation where a year, two years ago, three years ago, the zeitgeist was or the, the narrative was, you know, we, we saw uh, we're going to transition to EVs. Um, we had all of these companies making um, uh, promises and they were going to spend billions and tens of billions of dollars transitioning from internal combustion engines to EVs. And so now we're starting to see that waiver, okay? Uh, KPMG reports automotive executives are less bullish than they were last year about the adoption of electric vehicles. The survey found 76% are concerned that inflation and high interest rates will adversely affect their business next year. 
Okay, but that's that's not the main reason. For the U.S., the median expectation for EV sales was 35% of new vehicle market by 2030, down from 65% a year earlier. And so here's a quote. There's still a sense of optimism long term. And yet, most importantly, there's a sense of realism in the near term. You see this realism throughout the entire survey. So these guys are charged. These are public corporations, right? Ford, General Motors, Volkswagen, blah, 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 blah. We're going to put all this tens of billions of dollars. We're going to you know, have this transition to EVs. Uh, and then I think, you know, it kind of set in that, you know, the average person can't afford $65,000 for a car. I mean, I was looking just perusing the other day with these Ford Lightnings. I think they're the electric F-150s. It's like eighty dollars or $90,000 vehicle. I mean, who, who's buying these things, okay? When the more than half the population of the U.S. doesn't have $400 in a checking account. And so I think these people are making decisions and investment commitments, and also they flip-flop that quick. It calls into question, first of all, we could have told this was going to happen. The information was out there. The transition wasn't going to happen this this quickly, okay, even if it does happen. There's going to be a certain amount of EVs on the road. It's not going to be the majority anytime soon. It's just a simple matter of arithmetic and how much material is out there that you can mine and supply, okay? Number two, the price needs to come down. These average person cannot afford an electric vehicle. It's just that simple. Thirdly, the transmission grid and distribution grid is not set up for everybody to have an electric vehicle. We've talked about that before. So these are all things that are going to limit it. Plus the customer doesn't want to be, you know, sees these stories about these people that drove, you know, home for the holidays or they try to drive across the U.S. And the whole trip is based on you trying to figure out like you're some pioneer crossing, you know, the uh, trying to make it to the Oregon territory in the 1860s. Uh, to try to find the next watering hole, or in this case, the next electric vehicle charger that may or may not be working, may or may not be there, hoping against hope that you don't run out of you know juice. I mean, you've seen these stories, these travel logs. So, um, yes, I think that you know there will be uh, electric vehicles built, and I think they will gain market share. But I don't think it's going to happen, and I've said that all along. That's going to happen at the pace that people were thinking. Again, heads we win, tails we win more. But I thought this was interesting because like these people are tasked with running these corporations and they flip flop this quick on tens of billions of dollars uh, worth of you know potential market it, it, market share and investments. I mean, it calls into question. This is that's a it's a it's a bigger question. It's a bigger discussion than when I'm making it here. But it, it, this is just an example. So do they actually think that we're going to have this transition or are they just going along because that's what everybody expects them to do? I, I suspect it's probably the latter. There are, there are no real thought leaders and captains of industry anymore like there used to be that set the tone. These people all go along because they're more concerned about maintaining their positions, right, and maintaining their, their, their cushy uh, jobs and setups that they created for themselves. It doesn't cost anything to say that you're for this tr transition when everybody's saying that, okay? And the, instead of looking at it and saying, wait a minute, there's big problems with this. So this is an article from a newspaper in Syracuse, New York. I did not know this was going on, but I found this fascinating also. Uh, this fascination with these state and local governments with trying to solve climate change at the local level, um, I find amusing. Uh, you see what's going on in California. 
You see it down to the city council level. We talked about it last week, I think, or maybe it was on the reality check about, you know, Oxfordshire creating these 15 minute transit zones where you can only drive a certain amount of time per year and all this stuff, all this nonsense, all, all to attack CO2, which plants need to live. Okay. To reduce CO2, because that's the major thing that we need to do in the world uh, that concerns everybody, which it doesn't, by the way. But anyways, uh, here's what the state of New York is planning on doing. The state commission today approved plans to phase out fossil fuel burning furnaces beginning as soon as 2025. Folks, that's two years from now. As part of New York's aggressive program to address climate change. Okay. The plan adopted today by the State Climate Action Council requires energy efficient electric heat pumps or other non-combustion heating systems in every new home built in 2025 or thereafter. For existing homes, residents whose fossil fuel burning heating units give out after 2030, they will have to replace them with a zero emission system, whatever that is. I suspect it's probably electric heating. But the council's final scoping plan is now the official policy for how state government will meet goals for greenhouse gas reduction required under a state law passed in 2019. State regulations must follow its prescriptions, said Robert Holworth, a Cornell University professor and a member of the Climate Action Council. I wish I knew Dave Collum. I'd like to get him on as an interview and ask him what he thinks about Robert Holworth and this uh, Climate Action Council that Cornell University is involved with. But anyways, um, so you see me sitting here in a sweatshirt, right, uh, with a hood. I'm down at my uh, permanent abode in South Texas near the Mexico border, Mexico-Texas border. And it is currently about 30 degrees with the wind blowing. So there's a wind chill factor. It's like feels like 24. Um, I have my uh, central air heating, which is electric heating, which we only typically use a week a year, maybe three or four days a year. And, uh, you know, I have the therm I have the thermostat set at 68. Because if you set, if I set it for 72 or 73 or something, 74, it'll just run continuously. And, you know, electric space heating is the most inefficient and expensive type of space heating. And so if I, if it got cold here, like it does normally, you know, I would have a gas furnace or some other method uh, of heating the home in the wintertime. It's, you know, this is not really comfortable. 68 degrees, I'm trying to be efficient. Uh, I don't like spending money and it's not too uncomfortable, but, you know, wearing some sweatpants and a sweatshirt and some socks, uh, you know, in three or four days, it'll be 82 degrees here during the high. So um, might even have to run the AC again. So uh, even here, it's not that good. And we use it because it's easy. We don't want to put all this gas infrastructure and it doesn't make sense to do that for the week, a year, maybe that you have to use it. But if you're in these Northern states and you're living in New York state, I mean, if you're listening to this and I'll put a link to it, you can read the study. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing. It's like 445 pages. And so does this actually make sense? So if you're going to build new houses there starting in 2025, you got to have what they call here, what do they call it again? Um, zero emission systems, whatever that is, 
oh, you have to have non-combustion heating systems from 2025. Um, and then again, you have to understand something. So I don't think they've thought this through because it's the same thing, another problem with the um, electric power, if they're going to go with electric, it's the same problem with EVs. So when your subdivision is put in, the electric utility is three-phase power, right? So they split the phases. They basically balance what they, they, they have data. So they know what the average house size consumes for electricity. And so they size the distribution system in the neighborhood when they put the infrastructure in to accommodate this, okay? And it doesn't foresee all this extra demand that you're going to add. So if everybody, you know, if one or two people get a Tesla and charge it, it's not a problem. The, the, the distribution system can handle it. If everybody in the neighborhood has a Tesla and comes home for work between four and five, and plugs their Tesla in, it can't handle it. Okay. It'll, 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 you'll have a wreck. Okay. And it's the same thing here. So if you have all these homes that are now going to have to shift to electric space heating, which first of all, is going to be tremendously expensive. You have to generate all that electricity somewhere. Okay. Uh, and I think recently New York state just shut down one of its nuclear power plants North of New York city. So you have additional demand, plus is the grid transmission and distribution grid size to handle it? So I guess I'd have to read, read the report to figure out if these uh, geniuses thought this through. But again, you know, this virtue signaling or this idea that New York State is going to save the environment when the two biggest emitters in the world are China and India. And if that is, if you really care about this, if this is your issue and you think this is the major threat that faces humanity and you don't address the emissions in China, India, none of this matters. This is, excuse my expression, a fart in the wind. It does not matter. If every house, I mean, how are you going to do this in like cities in New York? Like they have like centralized heating and cooling in like New York City. Are there going to be like dispensations giving? I mean, what am I talking about? Well, you have like buildings in a, in a block area sometimes, like we had in St. Paul, Minnesota. You have a central power plant that I worked at where we burnt wood chips and coal, by the way. They didn't like to say that, but we burned coal and natural gas and furnaces. We boiled water. We put, we created steam. We ran it through a steam turbine, got the electricity uh, and lowered the pressure. And then we distributed, uh, we had a hot water system that went throughout St. Paul, downtown St. Paul to many, many buildings there. You can look it up on the internet. It's called Evergreen Energy. I didn't work for them. I worked for the utility that was partnered with them. That's how they heat downtown St. Paul. Okay. And um, this, this, I don't know how you would do that with just electrical or, or how do they call it here? Non-combustion non systems, non-combustion heating systems. So um a lot of this kind of exists in a lot of major cities. So I'll be interested to see how this is really going to work. I suspect that this is, you know, a lot of talking and that a lot of people that are came up with these plans won't be in office when the uh, negative effects hit, hit of these. So we'll see. Again, um, you get what you pay for. You get what you vote for. This is what people wanted. And we'll see if it works. Their costs are going to go through the roof up there for energy. And so... We'll see. Okay. Um, 
Somebody keeps trying to call me. Uh, excuse me, guys, real quick. So, I don't know. I talked about this before. Um, when I had my earlier blog, like, I'm talking, this is way back, like, 2005, when I first got on, like, blogger platform. Um, I did this little thing every year for, like, three or four years. It was called the stock of the year. And so the idea was just to have some fun, stimulate discussion. I mean, it's obviously clickbait, uh, is to, you know, pick a stock, find a company or a stock that had the potential, if everything goes correctly, that maybe the stock could double in the, in the next year. And so um, I think for three or four years, I was successful doing that. I just stopped doing it. Uh, I'm going to bring it back. Obviously, this is clickbaity as, as, as get out. I get it. Okay. That's the purpose. Generate clicks, generate interest in the channel, the, the newsletter. That's why I do this. I'm not going to sit here and lie and, and, and say that's not why. This is why. Okay. Generate interest. Um, but it's kind of a fun thing too. You, you may recall if you've been on the channel for a while, we've had some pretty good public picks. You know, we were buying Athabasca oil at the uh, COVID lows. Um, that did well for us. Um, we talked about, uh, we caught one of the runs when gold went to over 2000 Caledonia mining. That was a public, something I put out for the public consumption. Schlumberger, we recently just sold that. That did well. That was like 130% gain over like a year and a half. So we've had some, uh, good, uh, picks here, but I'm officially going to bring back the stock of the year. Let me just say, uh, there's going to be a disclaimer here. This is for information purposes only. I am not an investment advisor. I am not making this a public stock recommendation. Okay. I'm not allowed to recommend stocks. What I'm telling you is I've bought this company and I'm going to tell you why I've bought it, but this is something we're going to follow uh, in the next year to see, you know, because the, the methodology that I use that I found that I use to find these type of companies uh, this is kind of like what, how I find the companies in the portfolio that they're not the ones in the portfolio uh, many of them are speculative, but they're not as speculative as this. Okay, this is really highly speculative. It's not for the risk averse. If you don't like risk, if you don't like your stomach turning, um, don't even bother with this because this is basically a, what I put here. It's a hero or zero. I mean, it's either going to work out if everything goes right or if things do not go correctly, this thing's going to, you know, come apart at the, um, uh, come apart at the seams. So, let me get into the story and then you can make your own decisions. Again, another disclaimer here. I do own show shares in the mentioned company. Not a lot. It's a flyer. It's a lottery ticket, uh, but something to have some fun with. So the name of the company is Contango Resources PLC. Uh, here's the symbol CGO. It trades in London. And so what is Contango Resources? Uh, it's a company based in London. It has a majority asset, the 70% interest in the Lubo coal mine coal project in Zimbabwe. Uh, this is a high value coking coal project due to deliver first coking coal sales in Q1 of 2023. So this is off the uh, website. Following a detailed analysis of the composition and quality of the coking coal, Contango entered into agreement with Atoz Investments, whereby Atoz commits to purchase 10,000 tons per month of washed coking coal produced at Lubo 
at the prevailing MMCZ market price. I think they have a minimum price of $120 a ton is what I read in the circular uh, when I did the calculations. I put this in the newsletter. It was uh, highlighted in the newsletter for the December issue where I broke it down uh, based on some assumptions. Um, yeah, so it's the MMCZ market price is a minimum price prescribed by the Minerals Marketing Corporation of Zimbabwe. So I think it's $120 a ton right now. And so I, I went through the exercise of, you know, what would 10,000 tons, that's obviously 120,000 tons a year. Um, if you read the, uh, what the company's plan is, they actually want to go from 120 to 300,000 tons. Um, basically, uh, this is going to be washed coal. So basically you mine the coal, you run it through the washing plant and it removes a lot of the impurities and non-combustibles and the junk. Basically it helps you get a higher quality product, which you can sell because customer doesn't want to buy, you know, a hundred tons or 10,000 tons and have 20% of it or whatever, 30% of it be stuff that can't burn. They want that stuff called out and that's what the washing plant does. Uh, that washing plant's on site. It's operating. Uh, it's working, from what I understand. And uh, the company's currently uh, mining and preparing for deliveries in Q1. Or, or they just got the washing plant recently. I can't remember off the top of my head. Something. They're in the process of commissioning it. Let's put it that way. It's there. It's being commissioned. Um, in accordance with the agreement, Atoz has agreed to take delivery of the washed coking coal at the mine gate and handle all subsequent logistics and marketing, thereby removing associated marketing and transport costs from Contango. So this is good, right? They mine it in Zimbabwe. It's closer, pretty fairly close to South Africa. All they have to do is get it to the mine gate or basically stockpile it. And this trading company, I presume, will uh, arrange for transportation and marketing of the coal. Uh, so that's the story, basically. This is like a $3 billion ton resource mine, both coking coal for steel making and thermal coal. Uh, and the company does have some, uh, they, are, they are saying that they would like to, uh, once they get this thing up and running on this, on this particular deal uh, and expand it to 300 tons, 300,000 tons a year is to get into the thermal coal, which is using, you know, power plants and then eventually they're right now they have a memorandum of understanding with a multinational corporation. They don't mention who it is, but uh, that has already taken some samples and the prospects exist that they could actually create a Coke battery at the site to create, take the Met coal and turn it into Coke right at the site and then ship that out. That would be a value added product. Uh, Coke, as you know, is used in blast furnaces uh, with uh, iron ore to create uh, what's used in an oxygen blast furnace to create uh, basically steel, raw steel. So that's what their plan is. Um, let's get into some of the other, what possible pros and cons are. So they have some catalysts, right? This is going from basically non-cash generative business to executing on this initial contract and become a cash generative enterprise in Q1 of 2023, which is next early next year, obviously. Um, I think another thing to think about that's a positive is, which I have written here, is Zimbabwe is not the same place it was under Mugabe. You know, he's been gone for a few years now. Um, we have, uh, 
I point out the example of a company like Caledonia Mining, the gold mining company with the blanket mine. It's been very successful in Zimbabwe. It's been in business for many, many years. Even when Mugabe was there, they were able to work with the government and they were constantly profitable, constantly um, paying dividends uh, and doing fairly well. Uh, now that Mr. Mugabe has passed on, shed his mortal, mortal coil, uh, there's a newer government there. It has some leftovers from that regime. But uh, I think that they are trying to, you know, improve the economy. Let's put it this way. The things have gotten a lot better. But the perception is when you mentioned Zimbabwe that it's, you know, a hellhole. And it's, you know, why would you want to do business there? But there's been people doing business there for many, many years, navigating the uh, various, um, you know, government stumbling blocks let's put it that way and so i think there's a perception that people have that's maybe not accurate but again it still is zimbabwe again i have the catalyst here potential for expansion in a thermal coal and coking operations with a multinational operator or company uh but that's down the line um Another thing I wanted to point out here is there's record coal use in the world last year, right? It was over 8 billion tons of coal used. Uh, so I don't think coal's going away. I think there'll be another record set this year in 2020 or 2023. And there's a limited number of coal mines being developed, right? Again, the supply is constrained because everybody hates coal. Coal is bad. Um, fossil fuels are bad. Anybody that's involved with it is bad. Therefore, no mining, no financing, no nothing. But yet in these places like in uh, Africa, um, they don't share the same view, okay? That's a more realistic view. And so if you have expanding demand and production and supply is being held back, okay? Now it won't be held back everywhere. You know, places like in India, China, Russia, they're gonna continue mining, right? They don't subscribe to this, but uh, in Europe and the US and these places, but overall, if the world market is kind of constrained by this view, then you have the potential if you do have the ability to have an existing mine asset or come into production that could be positive so these are some of the positives that i that i think can uh, positively affect this company so of course there's negatives um let me just say this i've said this many times i like mining it can be very profitable but most of the time it's horrible as a business it's a difficult business um, a lot of things can go wrong. Um, you, I heard somebody say this one time when they were setting up uh, mine. It's the same thing in my business. When you're building large industrial operations, power plants, chemical plants, whatever. And these are difficult businesses. And everybody on the project is trying to wreck the company. Not, And I say that kind of tongue in cheek. They're not actually trying to do that. But it just seems you have every problem that you can think of comes up. Very, very, very... Uh, limited time that things go right all the time that's just doesn't happen um, there's no guarantee that uh, management get this up and running and it actually makes money we don't know right now it's all projections uh, the example that i use is they were supposed to begin deliveries to the customer i mentioned this earlier this quarter in 2022 uh, but it got pushed back due to issues with getting the wash plant on site and set up in a timely manner of course, the management blamed it on COVID. That very well could be true. Supply chain issues are, you know, relevant everywhere. I have the same issues in my business. So that could be 
an excuse or it could just be that they don't know how to manage. I don't know. That's why it's speculative. I'm not there. I'm not going there. Uh, I don't know. That's This is, again, speculative. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier, it is Zimbabwe. Yes, things are changing, but it still has many issues. Um, there is a certain lot of corruption there. The currency is horrible. They have inflation problems. But if you're a skilled management, like I said, as Caledonia and several other companies, Impala, Platinum does well there. Uh, you can do well there. The other thing that I didn't really mention about Zimbabwe is there's really been, you know, Mugabe was in power for like 30, 40 years. Nobody invested any money there. Nobody went there and did anything. There was a limited amount of capital investment. Why would you, right? It would be expropriated or you would have uh, what they had was the black empowerment schemes where you had to forcibly sell things off to these uh, indigenous people or hire certain people usually ended up being Mugabe cronies that were involved. So that, that stuff has went away to a certain extent, but uh, that's just, you know, that, that was part of what was going on before. Uh, but they still have many issues of trying to recover. There's still a lot of sanctions on the government there and some of the people that are still in government. And so the ability to, you know, get on board with the globalist agenda and get their debts reconciled, come up with a plan, allow capital to come in, that really hasn't happened yet, right? And so everything's done on a shoestring. But the other thing is, is that a lot of these, resources that they have are mines when they do come in if you get them up and running they're very very profitable because you're dealing with like low-hanging fruit just because the mining sector really hasn't had the ability to um, be exploited the company has limited capital reserves i mean they got to get this thing up and running and start generating cash and hopefully it's cash flow positive they can't just sit there and do nothing right um, the other problem is they only have this one off taker, right? So if something happens with this off taker financially gets in trouble, uh, then, you know, they could be, uh, they could be in big problems. So I think they need to, um, again, this is why it's speculative, right? There's a lot of things that can go wrong here, but if these th if things line up and sometimes things do line up perfectly, then I think this, this has the potential to easily double, but we'll see, right? Um, again, in conclusion, this is a highly speculative stock that if most things go as forecasted, will likely do well. However, note that I have just pointed out the things that I think can go wrong. There are plenty of unknowns that make this a lottery ticket. Let me drink of water in my throat. So this is a lottery ticket. If you plan to allocate capital for this, assume that this will not work and you possibly could lose all your money. I mean, the stock only sells for five pence. It's like three, like six cents or something. Okay. So they have a lot of shares outstanding, but if they get up and running, if their assumptions are correct and they can deliver the coal and their costs, they're assuming are like, you know, I think the minimum right now being set by the MNZC is like $120 a ton. Maybe they get more from that. If they just get, a, I made my assumptions at $120 a ton. I think the costs, you have to go look at the presentation, but what they're assuming, I think 40 or $45 a ton. So there's a potential for some big margin here. Now, I didn't, wasn't able to calculate what the SG&A costs and other costs are going to be royalties. Uh, I don't know those. We'll, we'll have to wait and see if they get up to production and then analyze the first couple quarters of 
financial statements if this thing works. So um, that's it. That's the stock of the year. I think this company, like I said, it's a lottery ticket. I wouldn't go nuts. This is something that like I'm putting like a grand into and just forget about it and see what happens. But uh, like I said, it's some of the catalysts come in and I think the main first thing to be looking for would be um, does the company get up and running and start delivering product and getting paid for it. Uh, even on that happening, the stock could probably easily double. So um, that's it. That's the stock of the year for 2023. Again, uh, I was wanted to put that out there and share it with you. Uh, I know it's clickbaity, uh, but uh, hopefully you can see the positives and of course, all the negatives. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, like I said, I may or may not do a show next week. I'm not sure. I might just wait till 2023 and just do a kickoff show. It uh, depends on what I'm doing and what I got going on. But uh, if I don't talk to you, please uh, have a happy new year. And uh, again, I appreciate uh, everything, uh, all the subscribers, both of the newsletter and just of the regular channel. And so uh, uh, please enjoy your time off and time with family. Uh, and let's hope for a healthy and prosperous 2023. All right, guys, that's it for this this week. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.